0: Hey, PotNutzians. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 240. My name is Door Door Geek. I am joined by the illustrious uh, nerd that I like to say in charge, Bruce Patterson, who is utterly good at his job. How's everything going, Bruce? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Uh, I'll just say it's been an interesting week. Uh, we have sickness reigning over the United States, but it, thankfully it's only affecting senior citizens, and neither of us are senior citizens. Um, I will say also, this show is brought to you by John, a.k.a. Isle of Tiki. Uh, if you would like to support this network and try to make this network remain ad free as much as possible, it's very easy. Go to patreon.com slash It's not really easy. Uh, I personally subscribe to over 150 podcasts and I cannot support everybody I listen to. But I try to support as many people as I can. And I encourage everyone to do the same. I've said since literally this first or second episode of this show, support those who support you. Uh, and I asked Bruce, uh, I hope you had a non-painful um, week. Because I will say, you know, the holiday season is when people get really sick and seem to die. Now we're in that limbo stage where it's just long enough after the holiday where things just seem to get frustratingly difficult. I don't know if that happened for you, but it definitely happened for me.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier was the fact that the company I'm working for has no plan. You know, someone's going to get sick. It's really funny because what they're trying to do is push the envelope, saying, if you feel sick, stay home. Now, what they didn't say was, if you feel sick, stay home and be sick. Don't do any work. There was none of that. It was just stay home.
0: Yeah. Um. I'm a government employee. We had a announcement and it was unbelievably non-specific. This is the way I put it. I work where I work for a reason. I'm there not because I have, you know, massive amounts of charisma, it's not that people there love me. It's not that they pay me lots of money. Right now, I have 3 over 3 months worth of leave accumulated. So when I go to like physical therapy for my shoulder, I tell the guy, I can come in ten times a week if you want. Doesn't matter. I have so much leave, it doesn't matter. Um, but if you ask me to pay any money, uh, that's when we're gonna say slow down. Um, my job, I told everybody involved, look, I actually never need to be in the office. But considering if I telecommute, you want me to document every six minutes of my workday, I'm never gonna telecommute. And if you tell me not to come in, I'm not going to telecommute. I'm going to use my leave and don't ask me any questions.
1: Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, my brother works for uh, Daimler Chrysler up in the Northwest. And interestingly enough, they thought it would be beneficial to install some software that literally pops up every five minutes in the middle of your screen saying, what are you working on now? By the time you're done filling that out, another one pops up. What are you doing right now? You could literally do that all day.
0: Exactly. Uh, I did have a coworker who uh, for one week telework and literally 80, easily 80% of his reports were I'm filling out my reports um, kind of thing. And none of his bosses, none of his supervisors, I believe got the message because I firmly believe those reports no one actually reads unless they absolutely have to. Um, But I'll just say this, I digress because, you know, we could sit on that kind of topic for hours and hours and hours. And I will say to everyone, including Bruce, between episodes, me and Bruce don't chat, we don't talk. So I'm going to say this to Bruce for the very first time he's ever heard it and to the listener, and I'll say it like this. I would like for anybody to call me out. I want Bruce to call me out more than anybody else because if Bruce calls me out, I know there's a reason behind it. Um speaking of calling me out, uh we do have an email. Do you want to uh read that email Bruce?
1: Oh, actually, hold on for a second, let me prepare. All right, here we go. Sorry about that. So, let's see. This was actually uh from Derry who says uh he was listening to our show on Padlock. And uh, he's in the process of evaluating which password manager product to use. He said you seem to have a strong opinion regarding padlock as more secure than Bitwarden. Wondering if you can share why that is the case or point me to some resources to explain why one product is better than the other. Thanks, Derry.
0: Um, this is what I'll say. Um whenever anyone uses the word better or best in a conversation, me being me, I instantly mentally go into like matrix slow-mo because how do you define what's better or best? And then I come to a realization. It depends on your personal preference. I can't tell anybody what is better. I can't tell anybody what is best without a million questions on figuring out what you value. Dramatic pause. If you send an email to this show and you do not send it to podcast for the lengths of podcast at links for the rest of us.com and i don't reply don't be shocked because you're an idiot that's just the way it is and if you email me and you're from a podcast that is blatantly anti-semitic don't expect a reply because i will not reply okay here's the whole thing i'll say security is really difficult to define secure is even more difficult to d- define i'll say bit warden seems to me that it seems to be much more interested in persona in public image in marketing and not as interested in actual security if you take a look and you just go into your browser and you type bitwarden space exploit go into any search engine even Bl- even bing and you'll find genuine things where people are pointing out that bitwarden did things incredibly as far as I'm concerned insecure okay Now, Bitwarden has been around for years. Bitwarden, as far as I can tell, still uses the clipboard to transmutate usernames and passwords to applications. And as far as I'm concerned, if you use a clipboard to move information from one thing to another, you are incredibly, obsessively, ridiculously incompetent. Because if you rely on a system like that, then you don't understand security as far as I'm concerned. And it looks like Padlock and Passman both do not use the clipboard as far as I can tell. I could be completely wrong. And if you send me an email questioning my value judgment, I really want to first reply, are you a security professional? Because I already know the answer. The answer is no. No, you're not. Neither am I. So maybe we both, we all, Need to stop asking each other's questions and try to find security professionals who value these kinds of things. Maybe Patreon them some money, PayPal them some money, and ask them to dig into all these applications and actually do a dive, and actually do like a deep dive and figure out which one is safer, which one is less secure. Because I am not a security professional, but I believe Bitwarden is less safe.
1: Actually, that's a good point. One of the things that I think is interesting, too, is that it's going to be a lot of digging and a lot of personal research, too, because at this point, who do you trust? Because I can tell you firsthand there are a lot of frauds in the security industry. And one of the things, let's put it this way. If um, you ask somebody a question and they give you a non-committal answer like we suggest, well, that's not good enough. You have to commit to your own answers, because if you can't do that on the very surface, then I don't think I can take you very seriously as a security professional.
0: Yeah, And I will say I don't understand people's lax like reaction to certain things where if you were walking down the street in any city in the world, Beijing, Amsterdam, Rio, New York City. And a con man asked you a question, you would pre pretty quick in identifying that this guy's full of crap. Yet online, when we have pretty web pages and pretty like news articles, paid news articles, into our feed, we seem much more willing to accept. And I don't understand the general population's w- willingness to not question things, where I will say, I do believe my greatest trait and ability is skepticism. And I will say right now, skepticism and cynicism are completely different things. Cynicism for the layman is not only do you question things, but you don't believe the answers that you get. Skepticism is you always question things, but then you reevaluate when you get answers. I believe I'm skeptical, not cynical.
1: Well, you're one up on me because I tend to be cynical. But anyway, these are my demons to deal with. Uh, actually, one of the things I was hoping we could sort of segue into uh, is, um, have you ever used Trello before?
0: Uh, I have used Trello-like solutions. And now, again, for the layman, what Trello is, is, and it's really difficult to explain, if you watched Silicon Valley like I did, and I love that show. Trello is a like post-it note is a digital post-it note like solution where you have different stages of things like here's an idea, here's the progress I made and here's the actual resolution to it. And what Trello allows you to do is to basically idea swarm kinds of different things. And I will say Trello is one of the most user-friendly feature rich solutions For this kind of thing that I've seen, I have used it, but I immediately stopped using it because I realized really quickly it meant I had to do work and I'm incredibly lazy.
1: Well, the reason why I bring that up is because one of the things that uh, I've run into in the last couple of weeks is that, um, you know, usually when you have a lot of items that you have to keep track of and you're juggling a lot of balls in the air, the problem is, is that sometimes you forget about a few of them. And so one of the things is that, yeah, you could use a spreadsheet for something like this, but I decided we needed something a little bit more than that because we also need to share with my teammates some of the other things that we're we're constantly doing. So one of the things that I think uh, brought me back to this, I used it a couple of years ago to track project work. And I think that this is ideal for such a thing because, you know, project work has its own metric. And, you know, for something like this, you know, I think if you put it in a place where everybody can see it and the boss can see it and they can get the status of it without actually having to ask you, that's kind of a win as well. I know that the uh, entry-level user is free for this. And if you want to do something a little bit more hardier, I think it's uh, $10 a year per person or something like that. But anyway... Uh, So I just thought I'd mention it along because, you know, I think uh, this is better than a spreadsheet and better than whatever ticketing system you're using, uh, and it helps you keep track of projects.
0: Yeah, I'll say I have never interacted with a ticketing system that I thought was good. I have no problem saying that out loud. And when um, applications like Trello surface, they instantly gain a lot of clicks, they gain a lot of fans because they're clearly better. Um, There are more than a couple free solutions, capital F free solutions, and there's more than a couple self-hosted solutions where you can literally pay for like a digital ocean droplet or install them on a computer or microcomputer in your own environment, open up a port, and you could really self-host. And I really have a hard time distinguishing the features that Trello has, because Trello to me is almost the premier in this kind of um, task management solution. And the other solutions, I have a hard time understanding the differences between them and why one is clearly better than the other. I will say this: if you, the listener, have a task management solution out there, and if you say Teams do not send an email in, but if it's something else, podcast at for the rest of us.com. Because I do like, I'm like really um, enthralled by the idea of task management. But I'm incompetently lazy and never want to actually be the person to implement such a a solution. But if I were to partake as a like third party in a solution, I honestly am really interested in them. Uh, Trello, I'll say I toyed with and I was really honestly impressed at the polish that it had.
1: Well, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown on it uh, in another week because, you know, I know we're not going down the enterprise road, but I was thinking also – More for personal effects, too, because uh, there are some things that I I could definitely use and organize my day, because if there's one thing I'm horrible at is organizing myself. If anything, what happens here is that, you know, you tend to take on more work than you actually can do, so if you actually, and what do you do? You overpromise, and in that case, it never works out well. So if you can actually just pin down the things that you have to do, you can actually legitimately say, I do have the time for that, or I have no time at all. So, yeah, something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, and here is a link that will be in the notes, and it's surprise, not surprise, not hashtag not shocked. And every time I say hashtags, my kids, like, roll their eyes so vigorously, like, the Earth's momentum changes kind of thing. But hashtag not shock. Uh, there's a GitHub link. That I'm gonna put in notes, and it's called Awesome Self Hosted. Um, Bruce, I definitely encourage you. This is a unbelievably educational page to just peruse. Is the best way I can put it. Um, you go there and you see a really long list of all kinds of software that you, as an end user, can like Hulk Hogan back in 1983, point at his hand and say. Here's where the power lies, brother. And you can self-host yourself. You can control the flow, the operating system, the security permissions, and who can access on all these applications. Downside is you have to grow up. You have to be mature. You have to be willing to log in as root and actually apply updates. But if you're willing to do that, this is an insane list of self-hosted things you can put on servers. And I have no problem in saying, easily 33 and a third percentage of these things you can install on even something as common as a raspberry pi um i am like um i'm like really what's the word i can't think of it um like um in oh man it's like uh magically um enthralled by i can't think of the word it's something that, uh, counteracted with doing D and D to completely enlighten somebody. I, this is the kind of list that I cannot stop going through Bruce because the amount of things that I can self host, I don't want to say it's limitless, but it's near limitless to where I can actually control everything. Um, and being a future hopeful, like small home office business kind of person, this is the kind of thing where if I can actually install these things, actually manage them, actually have team members log in and do things, I feel unbelievably powerful.
1: It's a pretty formidable list. <laughs> I mean, just going through everything, it it, my, it covers literally all aspects you could want uh, in regards to your computing needs.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's everything from like common things like email servers um, to feed readers document and I'll tell you right now the document management part is one of those things that literally like tickle me if you go through the document management part you'll see really impressive tools that I cannot believe that like closed source businesses don't like completely apprehend put in their solution and then like claim it as their own um part of me wishes that I could work for like a local school system because I know the local school system administrator, IT guy gets no money, gets no love, gets no respect, gets no anything. And it's their, re- and it's their job to like turn literally junk and garbage into something useful and functional for everyone that, that, that they support whether it's the teacher, whether it's the administrative staff or the upper echelon of the government that, that they answer to. And these are the kind of solutions, whether it be like the old uh chalkboard type solution that they would use or whether it be like a self-hosted document sharing solution. Um, This is one of my most favorite GitHub pages to frequently visit just to look at updates because I love the idea of self-hosting, and I'll say it like this. Password management self-hosting is almost a coup de grace. If you can password management self-hosted, it allows a certain amount of freedom to where companies can go under, ecosystems can change, protocols can completely be destroyed, yet I can still just one click, tap something, and have a password filled out that I believe is secure. Um, That's one of the me to me, the real good things about living here in 2020.
1: So out of curiosity, one of the things I'm not sure what sparked this, but um, I wanted to see uh, what condition uh, a program called Open Molar is. uh, That's a dentist software for for folks who are curious. What's interesting is that there is a person in Scotland, uh, I guess, uh, who had graduated dental school. And one of the first things he was frightened was the monthly cost of what it is to set up uh, software for his office. And so anyway, he started an open source uh, program called OpenMolar. And not to go too far on a tangent, uh, just, just to give you an idea of what some dentists pay here in the States. Um, they have a VM and their software is set up through a third-party company. And they're charged $30,000 a month. For support
0: i don't want to say i'm not shocked but i will openly say i'm not shocked anything involving hipaa the price jumps at least tenfold um the few dentists i interact with i will say it like this no profession in the united states has a higher suicide rate with that stated the dentist i have i try to be as nice to as i possibly can because i know they have the hardest job i've ever imagined. Um, if we in the nerd world can give them ubiquitous access to software that makes their job easier, I am completely on board because I'll also say it like this Dentists I've experienced in my personal life are some of the nicest people I think I've ever interacted with in the medical profession. And a lot of people don't think of them as medical professionals, but hear me now. Believe me when you're much older. A dental professional is as much as a medical professional as anyone drawing your blood, an orthopedist doing rotoscopy work into your joint, or anybody else. It's just the fact that they only deal with your mouth.
1: Well, and what's worse is that studies have shown that dentists can actually see potentially 125 different illnesses based on the condition of your teeth and some studies have shown that the care of your teeth is actually directly linked to your heart so those are those are fun facts
0: and they're unbelievably true um the one thing that i know now that i'm old is in the digestive tract the first thing is cutting your food using your hands to manipulate your food cooking your food But then only after that is your mouth. And everything that you interact with your mouth directly affects the health of your food, of your teeth, of your gums, of everything else. My dentist was able to tell me 18 months before I was officially declared a diabetic. He told me that I'm showing symptoms in my mouth of diabetes, and he encouraged me to go get that looked after, to which I just said, dude, I've been like 18 plus years, borderline diabetic. I'm happy you finally recognize this in air quotes, but sure, whatever you say. In hindsight, he was right. I should have had it looked after. Instead, I then was presented about 18 months later with my doctor telling me if I don't dramatically change in the next 30 days, he's going to prescribe me to take a shot to my belly every day like self-prescribed to which i said i think it's time for me to change
1: yeah usually i wait till those last uh most moment extreme measures to actually do something on that uh all right well anyway i didn't mean to to sort of railroad us there actually the one of the interesting articles that caught my eye with the smithsonian releasing uh, over a hundred seventy-four years worth of uh, photos. What is it? Roughly two point eight million images into the public domain. I think that's probably the first uh, batch of data that uh, the archive uh, org has actually received in quite some time.
0: Yeah, and I have no problem in saying um, I, I I love completely blindsiding Bruce. So I'm going to say this: What was a the- was there something that you first thought of this when you saw this article, Bruce? Because I can say, I can tell you without any hesitation, as soon as I saw this link, there was only one person, one podcast, and one movement that I thought of when I saw this.
1: No, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to get caught on this one.
0: And that's okay. Uh, it was honestly um, the GNU World Order, Klaatu. Because he, for at least some length of time, had some movement he was working on. where He was trying to, like, help people um, organize, collaborate on bringing things, bringing multimedia into the public sphere. And it was called the Multimedia Expo. And once I saw this article, I immediately, without any hesitation, I giddily, like, freaked out, and I emailed Klaatu and I was really hoping I was going to get some kind of like really positive, like joyous email back, and I kind of didn't, which kind of made me feel sad because I'm almost thinking that he's nearly given up on the idea of the multimedia expo, where his drive was to try to make as many things open accessible usable to everybody in the public sphere whether it was images video fonts or like anything and when i saw this i said this is the exact kind of thing that he's trying to do here's the good thing i want to say um again i listened to over 150 podcasts in my feeds and there was at least three or four news podcasts that stated the smithsonian institute release 2.5 million images to the public domain 2.8 million images to the public domain and they uh dedicated that they were going to continuously do more over the future months and years um this is the kind of thing that makes me as a citizen in the united states of america want to devote a percentage of my income to give to the Smithsonian because for them to relinquish all this content to the public domain means they only have more and more and more and more content under their wing that they believe can draw people in to their institutions to look at these, um, you know, um, things that they that 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 they like to show off. I can't remember the word. But the Smithsonian is something that I have no problem stating in a lifelong bottom The Smithsonian is a institution that helps educate youngins, oldens, everyone in between, and it's the kind of institution that m- me as a bottom I love taking my kids to because they are Um, like they're shown things that they had no idea ever existed. And me as a parent, I'm reminded of these things that have happened through time, through history and through science. Um, so for the Smithsonian to release 2.8 million high resolution images into the public domain is the kind of thing, honestly, I can't, I cannot say loud enough that I love and if more podcasts do not mention this article, I am going to be incredibly sad.
1: Well, I have to tell you, what, as a as a crappy, inconsistent blogger, this is good news because, again, more images that you could actually share out and use. In fact, um, I'm particularly interested in a small time frame, uh, I would say roughly from 1967 to 1972 because i think that that small cut of time first of all it was very impactful music wise uh it was actually rock and roll at the height of its its heyday now you had the birth of led zeppelin you had cream you had the beatles the stones the who i mean i could go on and on this is at the height of their popularity and just to see photos around that time, also parts of America. You know, it gives you a chance to see what L.A. looked like during that time period, or Boston, or, you know, uh, Seattle, if you care, you know, things like that. Um, So, you know, from a uh, sort of arts perspective, too, I I enjoy the possibility of just trolling through those photos for hours. And, yes, you're right, I do remember uh, Klaatu's... um, long marathon i think there was he would put together like 3 days of just simply gathering all the uh media uh available just to make it uh open to everybody and um uh, now nah, that's a herculean performance right there
0: yeah and i have no problem saying out loud in private or any place else um two is the kind of guy love him hate him agree with him disagree with him it almost doesn't matter. Everyone should at least acknowledge, recognize, and appreciate the fact that he has put himself out there to a certain degree. And I hate to say this, but I don't want to compare him to RMS because I can't, I cannot in my mind picture to picking his toenails and eating the fungus between his toenails. I hope that never happens. Klaatu seems incredibly measured in his logic, in his stance, in his belief, in his passion. And opening up this kind of media can only help everybody in the future. I cannot wait for my kid to tell me, Dad, I need to do this project for school and they're asking me to do this thing and I really don't know where to go. And I would love to be able to say, son, you're an idiot. Let's take a look at this open project by this Smith- by the Smithsonian because they relinquished all these images and we can use them in your project. Here's the gimmick. They didn't only relinquish these images for just normal use. They literally relinquished these images even for commercial use. And listen, if you understand capital F free and freedom, the most wide open use case is commercial use. If something is open and available for commercial use, it's open for everything else that has ever existed. So for the Smithsonian for do this kind of thing, it only makes me as a freedom loving Linux nerd who unbelievably wants to put his hands around the GPL and make the GPL feel good. The GNU public license to have the Smithsonian do this I really want to do everything in my power to support the Smithsonian and anybody who supports this kind of initiative not only people like klaatu and if you notice I mention other podcasts I mention other podcasters. I dare ask anybody else out there how many other Linux podcasts do that they don't Gnu World Order check it out. I guarantee you this, if you listen to the latest episode and it doesn't like strike your fancy, listen to other episodes and I guarantee you something will. This
1: is kind of like our ice bucket challenge. (laughs) One other thing that's interesting, I just went over to archive.org and just checked their images section. So with the Smithsonian's contribution, I'm sure that they'll at least link some of these images. Uh, Archive.org already has 3 million uh, images available so with this extra it nearly doubles the uh images that are available in the public domain this is just such a wealth of a free stuff essentially
0: yeah and without saying dumb I, I really do hate when i say that out loud because i feel like i cheapen or i lessen things every year me as a nerd i give money to wikipedia because Wikipedia is trustworthy. Wikipedia is knowledgeable. Wikipedia is an immense, like, bastion of information. I also, every year, give money to archive.org because if it wasn't for archive.org, we as individuals would not be able to interact with the past as easily as we can. Long story short, if you do not use the Wayback Machine, then you have no interest in history, is the best way I can put it. Because if you would like to know how information was presented to people two years ago, two months ago, two days ago, 20 years ago, there's no resource available on the public internet that can do that, except for the Wayback Machine, which is a hosted service by archive.org. And if you don't know what archive.org is and you're too busy listening to anti-Semitic podcasts, you need to stop, stop, drop, roll, whatever. I don't care. Just stop listening to that insane crap. Go to archive.org, experience what they offer you. And then when you're done witnessing that, shut your friggin' hole, give them some money. I don't care if it's 2 dollars $3 or $100. I can tell you this right now. There is no better barter, barter of information. And it's really hard for me to describe that word barter. There's no better interface for you to experience raw history, unbiased history than the Wayback Machine. Um, The, the things I've experienced from archive.org not only reminds me of my own incompetency, but it also reminds me of everything that existed before me.
1: What's interesting is also if you go to uh, archive.org in the announcements section, they're actually already collecting archival information regarding the coronavirus. So that in 10 years from now, we can see that the hype was all about nothing.
0: Yeah, okay. really quick, long, short. If you're over 70 years old, I absolutely understand your, like at like ridiculously worrying about the coronavirus. If you're under 80 years old and you're worrying about the coronavirus, you're an idiot. You're a maliciously retarded idiot. And I don't use that word lightly. I've had multiple people in my work with children who are suffering from mental deaths of disabilities lecture me on the word retarded and how it shouldn't be used. And I agree it shouldn't be used. But if you're worrying about going outside, going to the grocery stores, hearing somebody coughing and worrying about the coronavirus, and then subsequently buying $80 worth of rubbing alcohol, you're kind of retarded. And I almost can't wait for natural selection to take you out so my children will have a better chance of like procreating and being beneficial in the future so we don't roll down the uh idiocracy timeline
1: oh i'm afraid we're already well beyond that now you know also one of the things i like about it too is that in the wayback machine there's actually a button that allows you to also look up history as well so uh yeah this is this is a uh, again, a site that I spend my time actually more for the free books as well because they pretty much uh, collect everything that uh, the uh, Gutenberg Project has and just makes them more available. Uh, uh, yet another outlet. I think um, there's also a, uh, um, what is it? There's a watchdog group. Uh, it's a dual sponsorship by uh, Yale and Duke University uh, who got together and actually monitor what gets available and released to the uh, public domain. And so, Smithsonian, this is uh, the first time in roughly three years that anything has been released to the public domain, uh, given the new uh, legal restrictions around music and even literary uh, uh, pieces of work now. So uh, it's actually nice to see that somebody is uh, not afraid to release something out to the public.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, public domain is the kind of thing that it should never-ending, consistently be given things to do. And for the last couple of years, it's been unbelievably dry, thanks to monopolistic companies like firewalling things off. Um, but this is the first year, literally in like three years, we've had things come into it. Uh, when things come into the public domain. It enables anybody to publicly address, publicly ridicule, publicly criticize, publicly review, or publicly rebuke, or publicly proclaim that this was the right thing to do. That only happens when things come into the public domain. And I'll say it like this. I'll also secretly, Bruce, between me and you, I've had like two or three people email me and ask me for access to my Plex server. Sorry, Tangent. Long story short, I proclaimed the death of Plex is coming for months and months and months and months. In the last couple of weeks, we've had delegates from the copyright industry complain that Plex um, shares private um, copyrighted content illegally. But, you know, screw them. Um, And I've had people say, you've mentioned like the Mozilla documentary called Code Rush that i have available on my plex server if anybody would like to see anything that i deem as being an important piece of multimedia history like code rush never hesitate send me an email podcast at Linux for the rest of us, dot com and i can give you access to my plex library until plex is dead which will happen and, when, and once plex is dead i'm going to move to other services that uh, that allow me to share my library to other people. And I will say it like this. If you've never seen Code Rush, I can't say it loud enough. I can't like scream it at the hilltop. I can't stand at the top of the mountain and say it loud enough. Code Rush to me was an incredibly eye-opening documentary in the history of Mozilla and what made Mozilla Mozilla when they actually decided we're going to take this browser source code and release it to the public sphere in an open source format. Once they did that, the company changed. They pivoted. They became something they didn't know they could ever become. And ever since then, I've been doing everything in my power to support that company. Nice. Well,
1: actually, one, I'm going to circle back very quickly on the uh, Smithsonian. I actually posted in our chat the uh, link from uh, an earlier uh, issue, January of, this sh- of 2019, apparently it was actually the first time in 20 years some of the copyrighted works entered the domain. Uh, and it's Duke's Law School, Center for the Stub- Study of Public Domain, where um, they keep track of all of this stuff. So if somebody wants to remake Cecil B. DeMille's original, The Ten Commandments, and post it on YouTube, have at it.
0: And the, only, and the only word I can say to that Bruce is hot damn. I love, <laughs> I love when that kind of stuff happens because creativity is the poacher child is like the cradle of development. And when people are allowed to just create anything they want to create, we have unbelievably rancid, disgusting things that come out of it. But we also have the most beautiful things that have ever existed come out of it. Um, so I'm I'm completely on board with that because I don't want to dictate what should happen. I just want to bear witness to what can happen.
1: Well, and let's face it, you know, you're currently working with a uh, a green screen and I, at some point, will be doing the same. And it'd be nice to have a little bit more than, uh, you know, some other stuff up there behind, besides my, uh, you know, calendar and curtains. You should be seeing other things. So uh, we'll... We'll see what happens.
0: Well, it could always be worse, number one. And that's what I keep telling my wife. No matter how bad you think anything is, just remember, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse.
1: (laughs) All right, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we we check down some other things? Was there actually one that really uh, caught your attention that you wanted to go on with next?
0: Uh, Honestly, there was, but I'm going to slowly, methodically talk. While I take a look at these, the, Now the, the, honestly, the very last link in the notes, xorg slash freedesktop.org is looking for sponsors to help with their hosting services. Now, the main reason this one caught my eye was, number one, if you take a look at the article on Pharonics, Um, and if you don't know about ferronics what in the hell are you doing? Hey, Pharonix has been around for a long time. If you love them or hate them, it doesn't matter. Pironics is a very valuable institution that that publishes very important information as far as I'm concerned. xorg slash freedesktop.org is looking for sponsors or who may help the continuous integration hosting. And if you scroll down, the thing that shocks me is it costs anywhere from between $75,000 a year. To $90,000 a year for freedesktop.org to do what they do. Okay, I've given money to Wikipedia. I've given money to gnome.org. I've given money to all these other things. I think it's about time that my nerd self stops and gives money to freedesktop.org if it literally costs that much money per year for them to do what they do. Because if you don't know, the backbone of kde gnome everything involving the the linux desktop comes out of comes through comes because of freedesktop.org.
1: one of the things i'd like to interject here is that i would think that this is ideal for uh the project to approach someone like oh maybe the linux foundation you know it's like hey We support your infrastructure. You might want to try supporting us. You know, either come up with some web hosting space for us or, you know, send some money our way. Because, you know, they're paired with a lot of major companies, Oracle, Red Hat, uh, the list goes on. You know, and to provide more work for these people, I don't see why the, the Linux Foundation can't support people for exactly this reason.
0: Well, I'll just, oh man, there's no right answer to this, Bruce, except I'll just put it like this. Every organization, and if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, then you should know a couple of things. One, I will do everything in my power to support individuals. I will do everything in my power to question organizations. Organizations are the epitome of evil and the opportunity for everything evil to happen um are they evil by default nope but if you give them the opportunity companies seem to be horribly bad um but i'll say this freedesktop.org seems to be seems to me to be one of the least evil organizations maybe because they haven't had the opportunity but then you say this bruce okay now uh, there's a link in the notes, and the link was to a website that I have no problem in stating is incredibly biased, is incredibly uh uh what's the word I'm looking for opinionated, and it's techrights.org. Um, and when I saw when I immediately saw this article, honestly, Bruce, the first thing I thought it was you. Okay, the article is is called Lennox Foundation adds another. Microsoft executive to its leadership and by their count this is the this is the fourth person the Linux Foundation has added to their core like council that literally came directly from being a Microsoft executive um man this is the kind of thing Bruce I have a really hard time understanding what the Linux Foundation actually does what they influence what they operate around and then how should i take the fact the absolute unequivocal unarguable fact that the Linux foundation is bringing in more and more and more and more people from closed source software into their inner circle and i have no problem saying this the simple fact that I've literally heard no Linux podcast bring this up as an issue makes me feel incredibly disturbed. And if there is a Linux podcast that has brought this up before I have, I definitely encourage you to send me an email at podcast at com. But this is the kind of thing that really makes me scared for the future of Linux.
1: Well, you're correct in that this has remained pretty quiet, but even the tech rights themselves are also surprised at how uh, what a lack of transparency the Linux Foundation has when they're appointing such members. And, uh, again, uh, there's some real concern here. Uh, I mean, if it's a foundation that's just here set up to be a formal structure to pay Linus, then, uh, I guess, but, I mean, I think the worst part about it is that, you know, well, there's a certain irony in having Microsoft pay his salary too, but there's there's got to be a little bit more to this. I mean, it, it just doesn't make, make sense in terms of the membership. You know, they're paying for different levels of sponsorship, whether they're like platinum, gold, or whatever. I mean, what is that money actually going to? Because... I know, like anything else, a lobbyist has come to a senator because they want something. And these companies are no different. So what exactly is the Linux Foundation giving them? Or maybe by proxy, what is Linus giving them?
0: And, and, I, and I think I'm almost along the same lines as you. I'm very okay with Linus making himself, finan- and I'm saying this very slow, I'm very okay with Linus making himself financially stable. I'm very okay with Linus making his spouse financially stable. I'm even very confidently, self assuredly confident in letting Linus make his offspring financially stable because I truly believe everything he's donated makes it valuable enough to me that I can say he can make others that he deems important. Uh, not have to worry about money for the rest of their maybe natural life, but to embrace, to have a foundation that you have direct control over, that you have direct influence over, that you have direct persuasion over, to have Microsoft executives come in, make themselves comfortable, and allow them to influence how everything forward is moving makes me really discomforting. I don't want to say I have hemorrhoids, but these people are almost like hemorrhoids where I can't sit still. I can't sit comfortably. I can't sit and, and like not think that something's wrong here. Um, I could be like just taking these things out of context. I could be just being like a fear monger. I could be completely like out of left field on these kind of things. But I know when a company's, Number one interest is profit, and that company has executives now in what we call the Linux Foundation. I think it's perfectly safe for me to worry about the future of all these things. And I'll say this again for other Linux podcasts to not even mention this kind of thing, they're not actually Linux podcasts. They're basically like cheap sex toys on the Linux ecosystem without actually being in linux in in the linux ecosystem as far as i'm concerned
1: well i think even more disturbing so if you dig just a little bit deeper too uh i've never heard of tech rights before but uh i think i'll actually add them to my uh current reading so i clicked on it and it has a breakdown of all the stories regarding the linux foundation and in just the first 3 months alone it's they are definite i mean these are some really interesting articles here um, the linux foundation is deeply committed to diversity and inclusiveness as long as you have perfect vision and use big browsers that spy um, there's also a reminder at the linux foundation in 2023 board members including the vice chair and director at large are current or past microsoft employees That's stunning that someone could be a current Microsoft employee and sit on the foundation. Hmm. Some hard questions coming their way.
0: Yeah. And I'll say if you don't, if you're not absolutely resolved in your beliefs, in your understanding, in your thought process, do not, under any circumstances, go to this website, techrights.org, because you have a dangerous. Uh, possibility of being accosted is, is the way I'll put it because these people are absolutely biased in their belief but I have no problem in saying this their biasness is in freedom their biasness is in equality their biasness is in free Libra type mentalities so they're anti-establishment Bu- bureaucracy is the best way I can put it. Um, so be very careful going to this website because they're either going to completely offend everything you've ever read on any other website, or they're going to completely speak to you and draw you in almost like a religious cult.
1: Well, I think on that note, maybe we should step away from it because this is pretty eye-opening stuff. I mean. Uh, I had no idea. Uh, Apparently, the Linux Foundation website uh, actually does not accept Linux browsers. (laughs) How about that? Yes.
0: Yes. And I'll say it like this. If you, as a listener, didn't know that, dramatic pause, three, two, one, surprise! You've been too busy being basically propositioned by these unbelievably corporate. I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to say it these corporate slut shaming podcasts that you listen to because they're disgusting, they're unbelievably low morals, low ethics and you people out there love them. And I'll definitely encourage you this listener, if you listen to all those podcasts out there that never, ever, ever ever speak about these kind of topics, whatever you do, never for the rest of your natural life, send me an email at podcast at for the rest of us.com. If you're a part of a podcast that is unbelievably anti-Semitic, never in the rest of your life, send me an email at podcast at for the rest of us.com. If you believe that you've been enlightened into free Libra open source software and you understand the combative nature of these ecosystems that constantly go back and forth and there is no absolute right, there is no absolute wrong and you merely like to discuss the differences between them, please send me an email at podcast at com because I absolutely live and die by the engagement I get from everybody, whether it's the honestly admirable Jonathan T. Nadeau, whether it be by the former co-host of this show, Steve Cherbino or Cody Cooper, who if I could right now put my hands around, I'm pretty sure I would or Bruce Patterson, um, then you definitely need to let us know. But if you, the listener really get a uh, excitement from listening to these completely slutty podcasts who won't stop asking for money and asking for Patreons and pushing ads upon you, please, whatever you do, never, never in your life, send us any feedback. Cause I really don't want to hear from you uh, because I'm sick enough as it is. Uh, and I'll ask Bruce as always, do you have any uh, parting words? Do you have any words of wisdom? Do you have any things you would like for people to send us feedback about?
1: No actually, the shots are already fired, but those are pretty good, although I actually am interested in people who uh may have some uh, i don't know if I want to say self management but if there's uh some software that they use to help plan their day or whatever it might be uh we're interested so uh you know and everything is inbounds right now, so let's give it a shot and see where that takes us
0: yeah, I will say self hosted organizational solutions I find fascinating but i just don't have the wherewithal to follow through to use them myself because without sounding too lazy it's too much like work um i say to myself self when i retire from my 9 to 5 in about 6 more years i plan to become much more organized but for now i'm just going to keep flying by wire um again you can send us a voicemail 7076podnut you can send us feedback at linksfortherestofus.com you can also support us directly on patreon.com slash poddots, or there is a PayPal link hidden somewhere on poddots.com to where you can set up a monthly donation to us. Um, if you really like not hearing ads, if you really like not hearing really hollow statements about other services or solutions, then there's only one way to ensure that we do not do that, and that's to support us directly. And I will say to everyone out there, I love everyone. I thank everyone for their support. I thank everyone for their feedback. I thank everyone for their interactions and Bruce, hopefully I'll talk to you again in about a week and I hope you have a really good uh, time between here and there. And, and the very, very last thing is never, ever, ever forget. If you do not have root on a device, on an item, on an operating system, on a camera, on a doorbell, then you really, really, really do not know who does. Now talk to everyone again in about a week.